What's up fellow hard gainers, welcome back to the Build and Keep Fitness Podcast where you follow me, Timothy Averill, as I traverse the life of a hard gainer college student, constantly acquiring knowledge and making mistakes so you can learn how to build and keep muscle, health, confidence, and a better life overall. In today's episode, which is episode 31 of the podcast, we're going to be talking about um, basically the basics and the fundamentals of training theory. The main, the source for this, most of this information is again, like I talked about in the quads episode, I believe, I believe I mentioned this then. If I didn't, well then this is the first time you're hearing this, but it is the fundamental series over on YouTube by Jeff Nippert. Now Jeff Nippert is a really, really good fitness YouTuber that I use and that I watch all the time and I use for inspiration or for information for my own content. I will link the series um, I, if I can, I'll link the link to the series playlist down below. If I can't do that, then I'll link to the first episode, which is where the bulk of this information comes from. I, of course, will try and um, add additions and opinions and stories and little anecdotes and stuff like that as best as I can um, to try and not just fully copy his um, content. But also, I want to bring you this information because I think it's just really, really good information. Um, and as someone who's been making training programs myself for a long time, this is really good to add kind of like a structure and a framework um, and kind of sophisticate a little bit my approach to making training programs in the future. And for anyone who makes their own training programs and doesn't want to have to spend money, um, a whole bunch of money to buy pre-made uh, programs or wants a more specific program, um, this kind of information can really help you to create a free, um, more specific training program for you guys so without further ado let's get into it now in his video jeff nippard talks about essentially kind of a, a ladder structure that he lays out right um the two main pillars are kind of or safety and enjoyment and they are kind of two pillars of um sustainability which is the bottom rung and of course just like a ladder or like a pyramid model if you prefer a pyramid model the bottom rung or the bottom section of the pyramid is the foundation it's the bottom it's the most important one and you have to get that force first before you can build the next one and so forth and so forth and so forth okay so the bottom rung for the ladder that jeff nipper describes is sustainability and then the two um i don't know what they're called the two like the sides of the ladder they are safety and enjoyment like i said and those are two the two parts of sustainability so we're going to talk about safety first and he lays out kind of the three main points of safety, the main um, facets of safety, which are good form, proper weights, and adequate recovery. And I'm actually going to add a fourth one, which is don't be an idiot <laughs> or common sense. And we'll talk about that after we get through the other three. But I'm adding a fourth one, it, just don't be an idiot. So the first one, good form, that's talking about having, as, you, as, you, as the name describes, having good form, which includes having a full range of motion, controlling the weight properly, um, being the controlling during the eccentric as well as the concentric or the negative as well as the positive. If you don't know what that means, think of a bicep curl when you're actually curling the um, dumbbell or bar up. That is the concentric or the neg- positive sorry, of the movements where you're contracting your muscles and then when you're letting the weight go back down. That is the eccentric, the negative, or the opposite of the contraction when you're stretching the bicep muscle. Right. So a really important part of good form is controlling that eccentric and controlling that negative because a lot of people when they're doing bench presses or bicep curls or really any other exercise, they don't control that part of the movement and that is very important to control that part of the movement for good form as well as for hypertrophy benefits. 
because um, as I talked about in a previous episode, I believe eccentric overload is a important um, factor in hypertrophy. But then like also um, full range of motion is another really important part of good form, which full range of motion, range of motion is just the range of the motion of your muscles during an exercise. For instance, a um, for a bench press, right? You can only go down as far as the bar will let you. And then you can go as up as far as your, you can go up as far until your elbows lock out. That's the range of motion for the bench press, right? So full range of motion for the exercise means you're not shorting the reps. You're not, um, well, yeah, it pretty much, it pretty much means you're not shorting the reps and you're also not taking the reps too far as well. Um, for instance, if you're doing a lateral raise, um, a general lateral raise will be from the side of your body to about, uh, perpendicular with the force of gravity or parallel with the ground or just straight out to your side, um, that would be, mm, I don't know if that, I would say that's full range of motion. I guess that's full range of motion. Um, but you, my point is you don't want to go too far sometimes with range of motion where um, an exercise could have detrimental effects. For instance, like I'm saying, the lateral raise, if you go too far up, that could um, cause some shoulder issues because um, of the shoulder socket and how that works and how that uh, moves around. But yeah, basically full range of motion, it means not shorting reps, but then also not going ridiculous and um, like overstretching or uh, overdoing it with some of your movements. And then um, the second thing is proper weights. Uh, proper weights, it's just as it sounds, weights that aren't too heavy or too light. The reason you wouldn't want it to be too heavy is because then you won't have good form. And if you don't have good form and you're doing it too heavy, you're going to miss out on the benefits of the exercise. And then obviously when having a weight that's too light, your muscle is not going to get the appropriate tension. It's not going to be working as hard as it could be. And simply when you're doing really, really light exercises, unless you're doing it for a specific purpose, because there are other ways other than weight to overload your muscles. But for instance, if you're doing like trying to do three sets of 10 bench press, and let's say you can do... Uh, I don't know, two, 200, let's say. If you can do 200 for three sets of 10 pretty easily, and then you approach the bench doing three sets of 10 at 100 pounds, you're just not going to get the same stress. You're just not going to get the same um, muscular activity as you would if you're doing it at that heavier weight. So you need to choose something that's not too light so that your muscles are actually working, but not too heavy that you're sacrificing form and then throwing the exercise out the window and having a lot of junk volume because you're having crappy form because you're ego lifting and lifting with your ego and thinking oh I need to um, lift with this heavy weight because everyone's lifting heavy and I need to look strong and I need to impress the girl in the gym don't act like that do not never never ever ego lift all it's going to do is hurt you in the long run so just don't do it choose proper weights and focus on the form the third part of safety, as Jeff Nifford explained, is adequate recovery. And this, there's a lot of facets to recovery, right? There are recovery days, uh, resting periods, uh, sleep, nutrition. And then another key to adequate recovery is just listening to your body. For instance, if you're starting out and you have a full training split, and let's say, let's say it's a push-pull leg split, right? So you're going push-pull legs, rest, push-pull legs, rest, or push-pull legs, push-pull legs, rest. Depends. Um, I've seen it done both ways. Regardless, let's say you get to the, um, let's say even the first leg day, right? You go push-pull, and then you're just tired. Like, you're not used to this kind of work. You're just, you are tired. Your legs are hurting because maybe on that pull day you did some, um, you did deadlifts, and you're just not used to deadlifts. Or um, your legs were used in, like, um, your le legs were used for maybe um, 
kind of um, stabilizing other exercises and your legs are just kind of tired you, if, if you're just really really sore and really really tired and really taxed you might consider taking your own extra rest day it's okay to do that every once in a while as long as you just don't just make it a massive habit where you're just constantly taking extra rest days because then that's a problem but listen to your body if you are super taxed super sore super tired and you don't think you can put in a proper shift in this workout and then you have a workout the next day and maybe the next and the next Take that rest day and then just hit the next workout harder. Okay. Um, another way for adequate, another way to make sure you have adequate recovery, like I said, rest times in specific in in um, individual sessions. Right. If you're trying to go do strength development on the bench press and you're only doing one minute rest between bench press, that's not enough time for recovery. If you're trying to um, increase the number of push-ups you can do, right, and you do a bunch of push-ups. And then you, after 30 seconds later, after you fail on that push-ups, you go for another set. That push-up number for that second set is going to drop, right? If you're trying to increase your max, increase your strength, especially strength gains, you need adequate recovery. Also, for hypertrophy purposes, if you're not giving yourself adequate rest times in between exercises, you're not going to be able to go at the next set or the next exercise for that muscle group, or even for other muscle groups. Um, you're not going to be able to go at it at 100%, and that will affect your performance on other exercises, which will, of course, affect your hypertrophy gains in the long run. Also, on top of that, um, another thing that I see that I want to add that I see people doing a lot um, with group workouts, which, to be clear, there's no problem. I have no issue with group workouts. I think it can be great to work out with friends or with a group of people. Um, but I saw this when I personally would work out with groups um in my, on my high school cross country team when we would do weight room that people would do bench press and there'd be like a group of two or, or a group of three group of four or like a group of two is worse for this they would do a set on bench press right and then they'd switch to the next person right and then someone would spot them then they'd switch to the next person and someone would spot them and then it would come back around in the rotation and then that person who went first would go again which isn't necessarily an issue until you realize that if you're doing sets of 10 and there are only like three people in the group, you're not getting a whole lot of rest time. If you actually time time it from when you stop doing the exercise to when you start the next set, you're not getting enough time. Because if you're doing it by yourself, you would probably give yourself more time. For instance, when I do bench press for strength, I give two to three minutes. And that's on kind of on the low end. Two to three, well, two to three minutes is a good sweet spot for me, for bench press. In my opinion, from what I've seen and what I've personally experienced, that's that's the kind of range I'll give for when I'm trying to increase strength development on compound um, lifts. If I'm really taxed, I might give three, four, um, depending on if it's a special kind of workout. I might give five. It depends. But two to three is the sweet spot for me. I don't want to harp too much on that, but that's my sweet spot. Um, so I would do three sets of ten bench press, and I would do two to three minutes. But then I would go to the cross country workout, and there wouldn't be a lot of people there sometimes. So. Maybe we were in groups of three. Sometimes we'd be in groups of two, but usually it was like three. And then I would time myself. I timed myself and tested it. I was only getting like a minute and a half, sometimes less. Some, one time I got like a minute because we were doing shorter sets. Some Every once in a while I would get less than a minute, depending on how fast people were going and the length of the sets. That is not enough time. If I'm actually trying to go in there to get strength gains and to get size gains, that's not enough time to rest, to recover. And that's just an example that I wanted to really kind of focus on because that's something that a lot of people do when they're working out with friends and group with groups and stuff. They short the rest because they're impatient and they just are cycling through with their partner or with their group 
they're just cycling through each other's sets, but they're not actually paying attention to the rest time, which is very, very important. Then the other two aspects of adequate recovery, uh, sleep and nutrition, which definitely talk about. Um, nutrition, he, he didn't really talk about a whole lot because he saved it for, I believe, another part of this series. Um, but in general, nutrition, um, nutrition is extremely important. It is arguably more important uh, than fitness itself. And I will say that personally, in my experience, I try, I've been trying to gain weight for a long, long time. It's very difficult. It's very on and off for me. I can tell you the only times I consistently gained weight were when I paid the most attention to my nutrition. I paid the most attention to my calories, to my protein intake, to my macros. And that is when I had the most size gains, the most weight gains, stuff like that. And I would assume, I can't say from personal experience because I've never tried to lose weight because I need to because I'm a skinny boy. But... I can assume that it is the same for when you're trying to lose weight. And I've heard multiple, multiple people, multiple sources say nutrition is as, if not more important than being in the gym for losing weight, gaining muscle, getting fit, all of that stuff. Sorry, I needed some water. Still not used to talking like this again. It's been a while. Anyway, so that's nutrition. And then also in general, micronutrients have a lot of different micronutrients have a lot of different um, roles in recovery, in um, fitness, in all of that stuff. So in general, eat foods with micronutrients. For instance, I talked about the superfoods um, in one of my other episodes. Actually, I think I split that into two episodes. Go check those out. Very, very good. Um, but yeah, nutrition is extremely important when you're looking at fitness and achieving your fitness goals and getting adequate recovery. And then of course, sleep. Sleep is one of those things that is kind of obvious when you say it but no one really puts it into practice. For instance, I do not get enough sleep. I, a lot of times, actually get like five hours of sleep, and when it's, and where five hours of sleep is, it, I can live off five hours of sleep. I can definitely function off of five hours of sleep. However, functioning optimally is different than functioning, excuse me, and recovering from a workout is significantly, significantly better um, with more, more sleep. It's significantly easier with more, more sleep. You rebuild your body when you're sleeping. Um, just you actually, some studies have seen that you lose weight when you're sleeping. Um, yeah, just sleeping is so important for recovery and no one gets enough of it. I would say shoot for really seven hours of sleep. A lot of people would say more, but I know most of you watching this probably get like <laughs> five, six hours of sleep. Okay, which is all right to function, but not if you're trying to function optimally and trying to recover. I'm trying to shift more from five to six because um, I normally do six, but then a lot of times recently I've been doing five. So I'm trying to at least get six consistently and then I'm going to try to move to seven. I'm probably not going to move to eight for a long time personally just because I like to keep busy and I need work. But the jump from as my actually my collegiate track coach, track and cross country coach told me, because admittedly I missed like multiple practices this season, um, because I overslept or I didn't get enough sleep or whatever the reason was, and he said he told me um, that he found a study he can't remember where it's from unfortunately. Um, asked him that if you found it to send it to me and then I can link it to you guys in the episode description if I ever find it, um, or at least type in what the actual um, study's called or the book is called or whatever. But he basically said that a study in there or some kind of graph in there showed that the jump from six to 7% and not 7%, six hours to seven hours, and then jump from seven hours to eight hours um, in terms of, I don't remember what it was. I think it was performance, like athletic performance 
it was either athletic performance or it was like recovery. It might have been both actually. It was a, like exponential jump. I don't remember the exact figure, but it was huge. It was massive. I think it was like a, it was multiple times jump going from six to seven hours and then seven to eight hours. It was incredible difference. Like you wouldn't even believe it. It's just getting one that one extra hour, tons and tons of difference in terms of performance and recovery. Now for my personal pick of number four for safety, don't be an idiot. And this is simply common sense. First off, first facet of this, which again, you would think this is common sense, but you'd be surprised. Mind your injuries. Just like I said, listen to your body for recovery. Listen to your body in terms of what exercises you can and can't do. If your shoulder, if you're experiencing a bunch of shoulder pain, don't do bench press. Don't do shoulder press. Don't do pull-ups. Don't do things that make your shoulder feel injurial pain. It's very, very simple, but people still do it. Don't do it. <laughs> there are workarounds. There are things you can do. There are rehabilitation exercises. Do those. Do not try and just resume normal gym activity if you're feeling injurial pain in a joint or a muscle or a bone. Okay. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, because you'd be surprised how many people do this. The second thing, I'm going to tell you a story about my own personal experience going to a gym with my stepbrother uh, this summer. I'm not going to say his name, obviously, for privacy reasons, but I was there with my stepbrother and my little brother, um, and we were doing plyo box jumps as a warm-up, because um, we were going to hit uh, quads, and we were going to hit other stuff that day, so we were doing plyo box jumps as a warm-up, and, and this was on kind of like the free floor area, so kind of farther along in the free floor area, there were two guys who I think went to my high school, actually. They, were, they looked a little younger than me, but they went to my high school. And they were deadlifting, right? First of all, their form was horrendous. I don't even want to harp too much on their form. It was horrendous. It was unsafe. It was terrible. Backs were rounded. Very, very bad. I believe they were sumo deadlifting. Um, which isn't... Sumo deadlifting in general isn't a problem. They just did it very wrong. And not only that, but they were not wearing shoes. First of all... If you ever deadlift, if you ever squat, if you ever do any exercise where you need your legs for stability or power, do not not wear shoes. You need to wear shoes, okay? If that was not bad enough, not only, they weren't even going barefoot, right? They were wearing long tube socks. Listen, listen. If you're listening to this and saying, what's the problem with wearing tubes on? Listen, you are going to hurt yourself. This is safety. This is the safety section. You will hurt yourself if you do anything where your squat, where your legs are needed for stability or power, or you need some kind of traction or stable base, and you're using long socks, especially when you're doing heavy weights, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to do something bad. Never, ever, ever, ever deadlift with socks on. Deadlifting without shoes like barefoot is bad enough. Never deadlift with socks on. Oh my goodness. And it was kind of a slick floor. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, like, it wasn't like carpet. It was, it was like, a, it was like a floor floor. So I don't know what they were doing, but yeah, I'm, I don't even want to go into how obnoxious they were being just as people. <laughs> A gym etiquette, real quick gym etiquette. Don't be like yelling and like, yeah, yeah. Hyping each other up is fine. That's cool, but don't be obnoxious about it. 
I don't want to harp on that too much because that's not really related to safety. But don't be obnoxious and start yelling like, yeah, yeah, and throw weights around. That's really annoying, and you look like a douche. You look like a tool. Don't do it, okay? That also kind of ties into eagle lifting. You look like a douche. You look like a tool. And, yeah. <laughs> don't be an idiot. Common sense. Don't be stupid. They also were violating good form and proper weights because their form was horrendous and they were lifting way too heavy, as evident by their form, having to kind of just jerk the weight up and, as opposed to actually being able to lift it. Poor form, poor weight choice, poor etiquette, poor intelligence. <laughs> Have common sense, guys. Now, enjoy enjoyability or enjoyments for sustainability. The big reason why enjoyability matters is because as you increase enjoyment, you generally increase adherence and exertion um, in a workout, which basically means if you enjoy your um, workouts more, you're more likely to stick to them, you're more likely to push yourself harder. And I can personally attest to this because that's it's just true. Every time I've enjoyed a workout more, I've pushed myself harder and I was more likely to stick to it. That's just true. I've made workout plans for myself where I've enjoyed them and I've stuck to it. And then I made workout plans where I liked it in theory and then I started doing it and then I hated it and then I was very inconsistent. That's just, it's the truth. Enjoying your, uh, enjoying your program, extremely, extremely important. Now, for those of you who are listening to this and like, I don't enjoy working out at all. I don't enjoy exercise. I don't enjoy uh, the pain I get from exercise or anything like that. Think of it less like, oh, I need to enjoy the exercise because if you, sometimes you're just not going to enjoy it and that's fine. But understand that you that it's necessary, and some discomfort and some pain is going to be is necessary for you to grow and for you to become better. First of all, do that. Second of all, think of it like you're trying to make it suck less. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. But yeah, think of it like you're trying to make it suck less. Okay. Even if you're not going to enjoy it, that's fine. You're increasing your enjoyability by making it suck less. And what you, so you can do that is increasing the efficiency. Which is um, which you could do that by um, minimizing the number of exercises you do per um, session. For example, you could do focus on compound exercises. Um, you can also increase efficiency by just decreasing the number of body weight set or not bo not body weight the number of weight training sessions that you're actually going in to do. Some splits require seven days a week. Some splits require six days a week. Some splits require three days a week. For in for instance, the full body split three days a week. Um, you're doing compound exercises, so you're doing three full sessions, but you're only doing it three times a week. So in terms of weekly efficiency, you're spending less time in the gym, and when you hate every gym session, three times per week sounds pretty good. <laughs> um, now, we're going to talk about other, um, other kind of facets of sustainability other than enjoyment and safety, which is, first off, we're going to talk about very, or variety versus consistency. So... Uh, in my personal experience, and in Jeff's personal experience, and in Jeff's client's personal experience, um, some people can find it that switching things up, switching exercises, switching techniques, switching splits even, um, can increase enjoyment. Me personally, I went through a phase when I was really working out, I constantly wanted to switch splits, because I wanted to switch and switch and switch and switch and switch and try new things 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 and try new things. And that made it more enjoyable for me, but it also added some stress, um, because I was constantly having to make new workout plans which kind of led me to not make new workout plans. And then when I didn't make new workout plans, I didn't feel like I could work out because I didn't have a plan. Yeah, a lot of different stuff. So I enjoyed variety, but I took it a little bit too far. 
Um, some people on the other side of the spectrum enjoy a lot of consistency in their workout. They enjoy really clear tracking of progress. Um, they enjoy really consistent workouts, consistent exercises, um, so that they can track their progress more because the more exercises you do consistently, the more you can track that progress on that one exercise to see how you're, well, how you're progressing, how you're getting stronger, getting bigger, um, feeling, feeling the movements, um, how many rep, like how you're increasing reps, weight, all that stuff. You can clearly track progress and for them, um, for those people that can increase enjoyment. I also feel the same way about that because I, um, I also can attest for that is what I'm trying to say. Um, because I definitely like tracking progress. I definitely like, um, analytics a little bit. Um, I'm kind of an, an analytical person. Every once in a while, my mind will get like hyper focused on like little things. <laughs> so I'll get super analytical when I don't need to. Um, and I like, yeah, like I said, I like tracking things so I can get this side as well. Um, but I think in practice, just like Jeff thinks in practice, um, I agree with him on this for sure. A combination is probably the, your best bet where you have some flexible, um, some flexible, um, parts of training where you can switch in and out of different exercises as you want to increase enjoyment that way. But then also you have, um, some consistent, um, kind of like rigid portions of the training where you can track your practice week to week and you can consistently track your progress on that. Hold on. I need water. My throat hurts now. <laughs> Jeez. I know it's been 25 minutes. Thank you guys so much for um, staying with me on this. Uh, again, as I've said before, I'm working on being more concise. I'm working on being more fluent in my speech. Um, hopefully you see that. And hopefully you stick around to see when I'm a good speaker. <laughs> but anyway, um, another thing that Jeff described as was bro stuff. Um, bro stuff in practice for me um, actually, before I even say that, let's talk about what bro stuff is. So bro stuff are kind of, is essentially like intensity techniques that um, people use a lot in the gym, such as drop sets, supersets, forced reps, etc. A lot of intensity intensity techniques which aren't necessary for you to get growth in the beginning, but can be seen as more intermediate or more advanced techniques. Um, as Jeff says, they can increase um, enjoyability, but some people do have concerns about them because they think they, that um, they can detract from a focus on progression. However, like Jeff says, like I just said, can also make people um, enjoy their training more, which I believe is more important, as long as you, again, don't lose sight of progression, but as I talked about in the variety versus consistency part, have some parts that are consistent and that you can track constantly and that you can progress, right? Don't lose sight of progression when you're just trying to enjoy your training because you need to have a nice balance between enjoyment, but still practicality and progression, right? Okay, now, this, this, <laughs> he said this in the video and it kind of hit home, um, optimal versus practical. He said that most beginners try and look for the perfect or the, like, the most optimal routine or program, um, but you need to look for a more practical routine that allows for long-term sustainability, and that hits because I have not been in the gym for eight months, <laughs> roughly, like I've said before, and that is largely because I've been trying, I've tried multiple times to create a very optimal program for myself. <laughs> And I think this was very eye-opening for me, and it kind of showed me what I was doing and kind of relieved some of the pressure, like, oh, I don't have to make a perfect freaking program because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Um, so it relieves some pressure that way, and it makes it easier for me to just get in the gym and just start doing something. 
Like, because doing something is better than anything. You should always go in the gym with a plan, but still doing something is better than doing nothing. Um, so that's why I'm going to be using the comeback program. And then after I finish the comeback, the comeback program, um, which if you don't, didn't hear me in the last episode, I believe I mentioned it, the Jeff Nippert, um, comeback program, um, for coming back from a, um, break from training after I'm done with that, then I'm going to be switching over to a custom made plan that I will make myself. Um, however, when I make that, I know I don't really feel like I have to worry about making it perfect or making it optimal. I just have to make a decent plan and then just stick to it because that's much more important than um, it being perfect because there's no there's no routine on paper that will make up for a lack of consistency, period. If you're not consistent, you will not get consistent gains, period. Now, we'll talk about the second rung of the ladder, which is effort now effort is just as it sounds it's talking about working hard enough when you're training the exertion you're putting in when you're training all that stuff um unfortunately it's kind of pardon the <laughs> unfortunate pun but it's kind of a like an epidemic right kind of a pandemic of people who don't push themselves hard enough uh when they're when they're working out right they're just not pushing themselves hard enough they're not putting in enough of the work um, one study found that um, about 20% of trainees were leaving 10 reps or more in the tank uh, on the bench press exercise. Reps in the tank just means that after you finish the set, the number of reps in the tank, so to speak, is the number of reps that you think you could have done um, after that last rep of that set. So if you're doing three sets of 10 um, for a bench press, you finish the 10th rep and you feel you could do 10 more reps without any rest time, that would be 10 reps in the tank. 10 reps that you left in the tank. Many people just aren't training hard enough for significant gains, and this study really shows that it's just simple. That's not the kind of level of exertion that you need to get significant gains. And I do want to add that one thing that I find, actually that I mentioned this earlier, one thing that um, allows people to tend to push themselves really hard is enjoying their workouts, which is why sustainability, enjoyment, safety, the bottom rung and then effort is next because something that really helps with effort is sustainability and enjoyment <clears throat> now i do want to say like i said with optimal versus practical with sustainability there is no program on paper that is going to get that is going to allow you to kind of get away with low exertion it's not going to make up for you not pushing yourself because if you're not pushing yourself it doesn't matter what the program is you're not going to get the gains that you could get from the program you're not going to get um, you're not going to get the uh, growth, the strength, all that stuff that you would get from the program if you did it properly. No program on paper is optimal or perfect enough to allow you to get away with not putting the work, with not doing hard work and pushing yourself. <clears throat> and one really important thing about um, increasing your effort in the gym, increasing your exertion, making, making you push yourself properly is coming with the proper mindset, which is huge. It's massive. It's a very overlooked thing, but it is really, really huge. For me personally, mindset is a big, big thing that I've been working on recently. Um, not just in um, like fitness, but like in my runs in cross country, I've been working on that because it's been real bad recently um, in like working with school, in working with this podcast even, and then in general personal, personal life. What, mindset is massive, massive, massive for any kind of productivity or any kind of pushing yourself or any kind of anything where you're uncomfortable with it. Because if you're uncomfortable with pain, you're uncomfortable being in the gym, 
because if you're doing it right, you're gonna there's gonna be some level of uncomfortability when you're in the gym, when you're working out. If you don't have the proper mindset that will allow you to deal with the uncomfortability, that will allow you to deal with the pain, deal with pushing yourself, you're not going to be able to 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 deal with it. You're not gonna be able to push yourself. You're not gonna be able to get that maximum exertion, and thus you're not gonna be able to get the gains that you could get if you push yourself properly. Now, as a general rule, um, you don't want to leave more than three to four reps in the tank. As um, Jeff says, you don't want to leave more more than three to four reps in the tank um, because if you're leaving more than three to four reps in the tank, then you're simply, you're just not exerting yourself hard enough. And that is not necessarily a hard and fast rule. That's just kind of a metric. I wouldn't go above that. Um, and then I wouldn't, yeah, I personally wouldn't go above that. I kind of agree with Jeff. It's not a clearly defined boundary, but it is roughly around there. <clears throat> um, but on the same way as you don't want to go above that, you also don't necessarily want to go below that where you're leaving like no reps in the tank. Now, I do personally love training to failure. I think it can be really helpful, but I do want to mention what Jeff Nifford said because he is, of course, more qualified than me to say this. This is his opinion. Um, Jeff Nifford believes that, all, first off, all sets shouldn't be taken to failure. Failure should be saved uh, for the last set of the last exercise for a given body part. Um, he also says that training to failure isn't necessarily needed and could, should be considered an intermediate technique that isn't needed necessarily for muscle growth but could be used effectively to help with muscle growth. He also says that failure sets should be um, not used for compound exercises at all and should only be used for isolation exercises. And if you're doing compound exercises uh, or you're really trying to push strength gains and approaching failure, you need to have a spotter, which I 100% agree with. That goes back to the safety aspect of this. You, if you're like doing really heavy squats or bench press or anything, you need a spotter if you're doing it with compound movements because if you're trying to increase your weight, you're going to be approaching failure to some degree and there's a very big possibility that you fail. And if you're in your garage doing heavy bench press by yourself and you fail, that is a massive problem, especially if you don't know how to bail properly. So on top of needing a spotter, I say you definitely need to look into, look at videos, figure out how to bail properly from an exercise, right? In case the worst happens. I definitely agree with the spotter point. I agree with failures that should only be isolation. I don't think you should be trained to failure um, with compound exercises. Um, however, when he says, the last set of the last exercise for a given party part. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, he didn't really give any reason to this, so I can't really make any rebuttal, but in my um, personal opinion, I feel like, well, first, I feel like these, I assume that the reason that he would say this about failure, failure sets is because maybe it decreases recovery or it decreases your ability to do the next set properly or stuff like that. If that is his reasoning, then I would say that as long as you give yourself adequate rest time, there's not necessarily an issue. I've trained to failure a lot. I find it uh, helpful and a good way to push myself and to also a little bit to kind of track my progress. Because if I'm failing on a pull-ups pull -ups at like 10 pull-ups, um, and then the next week I still get 10. And then the, 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 <clears throat> sorry, the week after that I get like 11, I know I've progressed because I failed at 11 instead of 10. Um, so I personally like training to failure a little bit but teach his own he is of course more qualified to say that than me so take my opinion with uh however you want but i just wanted to give both perspectives on that now the next ladder the rung of the ladder that jeff talks about is pro progressive overload and prioritization or pop as he said in the video he kind of included prioritization 
as a way to make the pop acronym <laughs> so it's more catchy which i find funny however i do think they should be on separate ladders because i think progressive overload is definitely more important than prioritization so i'm going to talk about progressive overload first and then prioritization so progressive overload i believe i've talked about this on this podcast progressive overload it essentially means doing more over time right um, and this can be done in a lot of different ways, but it's progressing over time, doing more over time to in order to overload your muscles and stimulate more growth. So first off, the most obvious ways and the most commonly known ways to progressively overload and to do more over time is to do more weight or to do more reps. For instance, if you're squatting, let's say, uh, with 125 pounds for, I don't know, for 10 reps uh, week one. Week two, you do the same thing, but maybe week three, you do uh, 135 pounds for 10 reps. That is increasing the weight. I mean, it's as simple as that is. You increase the weight, so you're going to um, obviously overload your muscle because you're doing heavier weights over time. You're doing more work over time. Or if you're, let's say, deadlifting, and you're deadlifting at, I don't know, 200 pounds for sets of eight or sets of six to eight, maybe. Um, and then the next week you do 200 pounds at sets of eight to 10, where you're doing more reps. You're doing more reps, so you're doing more over time, you're overloading your muscle progressively. Simple. There are also some other ways you can do um, progressive overload. Um, we're gonna talk about two more ways you can progressively overload, but there are a lot of other creative ways that you can progressively overload. You can um, make you, you can do, uh, more efficient workouts, um, which you could do this by decreasing rest time would probably be the main way you could make it more efficient, which essentially it increases the workout density, um, where your exercises, you have less rest time in between, um, your sets, which makes it more difficult. makes it more intense. Um, and it increases the efficiency of the workout, which just makes it a little bit harder. And I do want to say, we talked about recovery and adequate rest times. So you can decrease the rest time to a point. Okay. You still need to have good like adequate rest times but you can manipulate the rest times a little bit to increase the efficiency and thus make it more difficult you can also make your workouts um more exertive or make you like push yourself more um, or make it just harder to perform the exercise um, one way you could do that is you could slow down the tempo of the exercise for instance if you're doing um push-ups um you can control the negative or if you're doing push-ups or like chin-ups i'll use chin-ups because that's a better example um, the negative, let's say uh, for the tempo and you're doing like one second up and then like one second down, you could change that from one second up to one, two seconds down. If you don't know what workout tempo is, essentially it's the number of seconds it takes for you to do the concentric or the positive portion of the rep and then the number of seconds it takes for you to do the um, eccentric or negative portion of the rep. And also I think workout tempo, now I don't know a whole lot about this, but I believe workout tempo also includes the time between like the time where you pause if you do pause so like for a squat let's say you go down for two seconds pause for one and then go up in one second so it would be like a two one one tempo i believe so what i'm saying is on the um on the um concentric of the movement which is the one which is when you go back up is when you're pushing the negative is when you're letting yourself go down so instead of being two one one you could change that to like a four one one or like a four two one Either way, you're changing the the, um, the tempo of the exercise to make it more difficult. 
now we're, that's progressive overload. Now we're going to talk about uh, prioritization. And with that, we're going to talk about specificity, which is being specific about your goals and choosing specific things in your workouts specifically to um, specifically uh, <laughs> change your workouts to hit your specific goals. Um, prioritization is very, very simple. It's prioritizing based on your own goals. Very, 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 very simple. But you'd be surprised how many people run basic like splits, basic workout splits, basic training programs when they only really want to improve their chest or improve their quads or stuff like that. If you want to, let's use the example of improving your quads because that's going to be a big focus of my program when I make it. If you want to improve your quads, one way you could do that, um, or one way you could prioritize your quad workouts um, first off, your quad workouts are probably going to be leg workouts, so whole leg workouts is probably how that's going to shake out to be. So priority is your leg days. You could potentially put those earlier in the week. So for instance, if you're doing a push-pull leg split um, and you're doing push-pull legs, push-pull legs, rest, you could do legs. Um, you could manipulate it so it's legs, push-pull, legs, push-pull, so that way you're hitting your first leg day of the week right after a rest day. Right? You're manipulating it so you're doing it after a rest day you're doing the session where you're trying to train the important factor for you. Um, you're putting that session after a rest day or you're putting it earlier in the week when you're more fresh, right? Or maybe if you have like um, certain sessions in your workout where you have less volume and they're less taxing days, you could put them after that. So again, you're less taxed. Those are just examples of ways you could do that. Um, another way to prioritize, um, if you're looking for a specific, if you want to go into like, <clears throat> sorry, one way you could prioritize as well, we just talked about manipulating the whole session as a whole. You could also manipulate manip, manipulate the exercises and the muscles that you work in the session. For instance, if you're trying to focus on quads and you're doing the leg day, try hitting the quads first, right? And then hitting the glutes. For instance, um, the two main exercises that I would focus on with quads and glutes, it would be, um, for me, it would be front squat and hip thrust, right? And for all, both my leg days, I would have a a front squat and a hip thrust. And if I'm trying to focus on quads, right, I would always put the front squats first before the hip thrust. Do the front squats first where, you, where you're where you freshest in the workout. Multiple studies and multiple things have said that you're stronger in the, at, at the beginning of your workout. You're stronger at the beginning of your workout, so you hit the thing you want to focus on first, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. Still not used to talking this long. Whew. Uh, dun, 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 dun. Oh yeah, and like I just said, you want to space the days where you're, um, for, for again, for instance, if you're trying to focus on quads, space the leg days away from like super heavy days. For instance, if you're going to hit like really, really heavy like um, back exercises, bicep exercises, pull exercises in general, um, you might want to space your leg days away from those pull exercises, that really heavy pull day, or whatever your split is. Again, it's, this isn't... Um, like, I'm not trying to pigeonhole this into only a push-pull split. This can be applied, of course, to any workout plan. Um, probably easier if you're applying it to a body part split. For instance, if you like, if you do one day a week for chest and one day a week for legs, um, and you want to focus on quads, and you hit your chest like really, really hard, really, really heavy, try not hitting the legs right after your chest day because you'll be neurally taxed, neurologically taxed, mentally taxed after a really hard chest day so you want to get your leg day away from that if you can now the last thing the last rung of the ladder is variables 
Um, now, he didn't really talk a whole lot about this in this video, and if I'm being honest, I just didn't have time to watch the other video and take notes on the other video, but variables, essentially, it's the intricacies. It's the little things that you can manipulate in the workout, in the workouts as a whole, in the program as a whole, in the individual sessions, stuff like that. For instance, training volume, training frequency, training intensity, specific exercise uh, selection, lifting tempo, rest periods, training splits, etc. All of these things are the variables um, that you can use um, to make your workout plan custom, right? And um, a lot of the exercise selection, the training frequency, all of this stuff, a lot of these variables um, that you would pick and that you would choose um, are going to be because of the specific goals that you've set, right? It are going to be as or they're going to be a result of the goals that you have. Um, for instance, if you're really trying to focus on quads, like I said, um, you're going to pay a lot more attention to the training volume and the frequency of the quads. Um, for example, quads, as I talked about in the quads episode, which if you haven't seen, you just check it out. Nice plug. Um, <laughs> but quad frequency, it's best 1.5 to three times a week. 1.5 meaning one heavy volume day and one light uh, mini smaller volume session, right? So personally, I do a two times. I would do a two times a week frequency for quads. And if you're focusing on quads, that's going to be one of the first things that you do, right? That's going to be one of the things that you prioritize. And that's going to be one of the big variables that is going to affect how the rest of your workout plan plays out, right? Because if you have two leg days, you're going to have to have some give in one of the other exercises or not exercises, one of the other um, kind of muscle groups and in other ways of how you um, select your workout plan, right? Training intensity and train or training volume and frequency for the legs is going to affect the rest of your workout plan, right? But that is it for today's episode. This went a lot longer than I expected it to, but that's kind of good, which because it means I added stuff because his video was like 20 something minutes long. And while I know I'm not a super concise um, person or a concise talker, um, the fact that it ran this long to me means that I added at least a decent bit up in, of my own information, my own opinions um, to the video. Uh, so I hope you found this informative. I hope you uh, found my little additions helpful and maybe you found this information eye-opening. Uh, and hopefully this can actually help you guys make your own training programs uh, for yourself and for your own goals. But that's it for today. Um, thank you so much for tuning in as always. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, feedback, suggestions, or ideas on any past or future content, uh, feel free to let me know in the comments of the YouTube section when I eventually put this on YouTube. <laughs> or my email, which is buildandkeepfitness at gmail.com com i'd be happy to respond to you guys and answer any questions you have and if i get enough questions where they're kind of similar i'll probably make an episode on it in fact because i have such a little such a little audience if you ask me a question there's a good chance that it will become an episode because <laughs> i just don't have that many people listening and if i got a question and i thought hey i don't really know i'd probably do a lot of research and make it into an episode um but yeah anyway that's it for me today i uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, follow like comment, subscribe, whatever you can on the platform that you're on. Really, really appreciate it and have a good rest of your day. Goodbye.